0: Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast for Hope City Church. We pray the word of God leaves you encouraged and hopeful today. Psalm 139 is a psalm of David. It starts like this. Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We pray, God, that you would speak to us, that you would stir us and encourage us and bring tremendous comfort to our hearts as we read And study these words here. Be with us now. We know that you are the teacher. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher of the church. And so I pray that you would anoint these words and anoint this time and give us ears to hear you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so this psalm highlights at least three important attributes of God. And I want to take a look at these attributes, these qualities or characteristics, and how they impact. God's personal interaction with us. Cool, cool? Then we'll end with some personal application. So three attributes of God that I want us to see that I think are present here in this psalm. Number one, God is omniscient, which is a really fancy way of saying God is all-knowing. God knows all things. Let me read again verses one through six. I will extol you my, I'm sorry, that's the wrong one. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. We see that God is omniscient. God is all-knowing here. And because God knows all things, that means that he knows everything about you. He knows you inside and out. He sees you for who you really are. No detail escaping his attention. Charles Spurgeon said, the Lord knows us thoroughly as if he had examined us minutely and pried into the most secret corners of our being. Four subpoints to point one. <laughs> We're gonna do them quickly. What does it mean that God knows me Completely, that God is all-knowing, and because he's all-knowing, he knows me completely. A, God knows your heart. God knows your heart. Verse one, again, O oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. Verse 23, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. God knows what's in your heart. He knows your character. He knows who you are. He sees past the external, past the facade, past the veneers that we put up, He's, he sees right into our very heart and motives. So while we may be able to put up a facade or a veneer or a, a front with others, it doesn't work for God. He sees right past it. He sees right into our heart. I think of the passage when, uh, when uh, Samuel the prophet was sent to uh, anoint the new king. And they brought all of Jesse's sons before him and they thought, man, surely these tall, handsome, you know, People must be the Lord's anointed. And it says, no, God doesn't see as man sees. God looks upon the heart. And he looked into David's heart and he chose David. David now writing this psalm says, God knows what's in your heart. So these veneers that we put up, these facades we put up for other, it may work for people, but it doesn't work for God. God knows your heart. He knows your heart even better than you do. That's what the psalmist is getting at. He knows what's good in our heart and what's rotten in our heart. You know what some of the most horrific advice we ever give each other is? Just follow your heart, man. (laughs) Just follow your heart. I don't know, do whatever's in your heart. It sounds good, but it's horrific advice. That's horrible. Horrible advice. Because scripture says that your heart is desperately sick and deceitful above all things. That means that nothing else will deceive you like your heart will. That's that's Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, if you want to look it up. It will deceive you. Your heart will deceive you. Your own heart will deceive you. But it can't deceive God. He peers right into it, and it's an open book to him. B, it means that God knows your actions. God knows your actions. Verses 2 and 3 again. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you search out my path. You're acquainted with all of my ways. That means God knows all of our actions our getting up or going out or going in or doing everything that we do. He knows our actions, our daily activities and deeds are familiar to God, both the positive and the negative. God knows your ways and your habits and everything that you do. See God knows your thoughts. God knows your thoughts. It was there in verse 2 also. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Look at verse 23 again. Search me God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts. God knows your every thought. He knows my every thought. Every thought that honors him and every thought that offends him. Now, we go, hang on a second, yeah? Because it's like, okay, I'm, it feels rather invasive that God just knows everything about me, right? It's like, you know, like, I man, my thoughts aren't even hidden from God. Right? And I and we have thoughts that dishonor God, thoughts that offend God. I, I think that's one of the primary battle points in our life is, is our thoughts, it's our thinking. And we have this idea that we have to just follow our thoughts where we have. Listen. I heard a saying once that was really helpful for me, and it's kind of cheesy, but it just works. It's like, you can't control. You and I, we cannot control every thought that pops in our head, can we? Like we just Sometimes just a thought will pop in, and it's there, and you know it's like a thought you shouldn't be having no matter what it is, whether it's you know anger, pride, lust, whatever, it's just po- the thought that pops in. Revenge, you know? You, you just have these thoughts that pop in your head. You can't control that. But we can control what we choose to meditate and dwell on in our mind right? So I don't have to just think and meditate on every thought that pops in my head. Somebody said it this way, You can't control whether a bird flies over your head or not, but you can control whether or not it makes a nest on your head, right? So, so it's like that with our thoughts. We can't control every bird that flies in, but we can control whether we let it make a nest or not. right? So listen, the, the, the deal is not that we have a bad thoughts. What do we do with it? That's what this is talking about. The thoughts that dishonor God are thoughts we choose to meditate on and dwell on that dishonor Him. It's our meditation. That's why the psalmist prayed in Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. What I meditate on, what I dwell on, what I choose to meditate on. So God knows your heart. He knows your actions. He knows your thoughts. D, God knows your words. Verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Every word that you and I speak is known to God. Every word we've ever spoken to anyone, anywhere is known to God. Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 said, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Ah, I don't like that. I don't like that one bit. Because I've spoken a lot of careless words. A lot of careless words. When we were in our study in Ephesians last year, we saw that we should, Ephesians said, it says, speak only what is helpful and what imparts grace to the hearer. We should only speak words that help people and build people up in grace. Every word. It says, even before you say it, even before you speak it, that is, God knows my internal dialogue. You know, those, the words that we all just say. And again, it's our thoughts. I know it. But you ever had that moment where it's like, you know, you felt that check in your gut right before you said something really stupid or really bad? Or really, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, and you kind of bit your tongue. I just think, like, many times, especially for a believer, I believe that, like, that's the Holy Spirit who knows. He says, "You before I, a word is on my tongue, you know it." we're back, to, it's on our tongue and it's the Holy Spirit sometimes just goes, ah, da, 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 da. <laughs> hold up on that one, all right? But he knows it. God is omniscient, he knows all things. That means you are completely known to God. Everything about you, your heart, your thoughts, your word, words and deeds, all known to God. Second attribute I wanna look at is that God is omnipresent, And that's just another way to say God is present everywhere. God is present everywhere. Verses 7 through 12 again. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and and there your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness isn't dark to you. The night is as bright as a day for darkness is as light with you. God is everywhere. God is omnipresent, present everywhere. David asks a rhetorical question in verse seven, which is basically, where can I go to get away from you? Or is there anywhere I could go to escape your presence? And then he proceeds to answer his own question in verses eight through 12. Verse eight told us, it says, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. This is the highest place I can think of going, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or like the grave, lowest place I can think of, nope, you're there, right? Verses nine and 10, if I go to the farthest reaches, I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God is present at your highest heights and your lowest depths, at the farthest reaches. Listen, the most extreme distance you can think of going from this point is no further from God than where you are right now. You can run as far and as high and as deep as you want and you can't escape God. Jonah found that out. (laughs) Jonah tried to flee from the Lord as if that was possible. And that's what the psalmist is saying, is where can I go that you're not present? If I went to heaven, you're there. If I was in the grave, you're there. If I go to the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, the farthest place I can think of, highest, deepest, farthest, you're there. I know maybe the darkness will separate me from your presence. Maybe the darkness will conceal me from you. Wait a second, verse 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness isn't dark to you and the night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. Darkness cannot hide us from his presence. God is with you and sees you in the darkness as plainly as in the light of day. Daniel Aiken on this verse says this. He says, turn off the lights, pull the drapes, close the blinds. Pull the covers up over your head. Darkness may conceal one man from another, but it can never hide a man from God. There's nowhere you can go where God isn't present. Distance can't separate you from him, and darkness cannot separate you from him. God is omnipresent, present everywhere. Number three, God is omnipotent, which means God is all-powerful, potent, all-powerful versus 13 through 16. And I love the way that it shows us the power of God. For you formed my inward parts and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet There was none of them. God is pictured here as the all-powerful creator. No one else can do that. No one else can create the way that God creates. God alone is the all-powerful creator. God is the one who formed you, who in fact formed every person on earth. I just feel like it's important to take a moment and answer the question here. What is happening in the womb of a pregnant woman? And according to the scriptures, what's happening is the intentional and personal handiwork of God. with me? So, the Beatles wrote some crappy songs. (laughs) Right? Uh, just, Just to be honest, right? Like, probably not everything Michelangelo did was the Sistine Chapel. Okay? But these artists have masterpieces. Now, I'm not implying that God makes things that are lesser than, but all I am saying is that word is used describing you and I, describing every person on this planet. He says we are his handiwork, his poema, his masterpiece. He's the one who created and fashioned and formed every person you've ever met. This means every human being you've ever met has dignity and value and worth because they were handcrafted by God. Verse 13, you formed my inward parts. All my internal parts, God, you formed them. Verse 13 says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Verse 15 says, when I was intricately woven, you are intricately woven by God. Verse 14, it says, I am fearfully and what, like fearful, like I'm in awe, wonderful. I'm fearfully and wonder, I'm in awe and wonder of how you have formed me, God. Wonderful are your works. Instead of bemoaning the way he is, he praises God for forming him the way that he has. That, that runs just right against the grain of how many of us view ourselves, doesn't it? How often do you look at yourself, listen, I do it, we all do it. The first thing we see about ourselves is our imperfections. The mirror is awful to us. (laughs) And it's not actually the mirror. It's the eyes that behold it. It's the mind that beholds what they see in the mirror. Because what you're seeing now, whatever you feel about what you see, That's something internal that's happening in you. But what you're actually looking at is the intricately woven, personally handcrafted work of God. When the psalmist gets that, he goes, I praise you. I praise you. You are the all-powerful, omnipotent creator. You formed me. Do you think these verses may have any relevance to our present culture? I know it's heavy, man. I know we don't want to talk about this, but... Do you think it has any relevance to our present culture? We go, the oh, Bible's so irrelevant. You think that's irrelevant to our present day and age that God is the one working in the womb? That God is the one who fashioned your body and all of its parts? That's incredibly relevant. And yet, even before he began to form you in the womb, this psalm says that he knew you before that. You were in his heart and in his mind before he even began forming you. Not only before you took your first breath, but before he even began to form you and intricately weave you in your mother's womb. Verse 16, you saw my unformed substance and in your book were written every one of them, all the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them before I even lived a day. You knew all of my days. And you saw me before you even formed me. That means, and I say this over and over again, but I hope I say it until I'm blue in the face and you remember it like always. That means there are no accidental people. None. You may have been a surprise to your parents. You were not a surprise to God. God wasn't like, Oop, oh, what do I do with this one? Uh, I guess I better find a family for them. <laughs> handcrafted by God in his heart before he even began to form you. In fact, he formed you because you were there already in his heart. He says, oh, I know. And he formed hand, handcrafted you. You are his handiwork. That's why you exist. For his glory and his pleasure because he loves you and because he formed you because you were in his heart before the foundation of the world. He knows the end from the beginning. He already knows the days you haven't even lived yet. He's seen your future. He's in your future. He's there before you. And the sovereign, all-powerful God who knows the end from the beginning is able to bring you through each day to his presence. So, these three attributes, both convicting and comforting, right, both convicting and comforting, I I felt it as I'm putting this together, I felt it as I'm preaching it this morning, conviction and comfort from all three of these attributes, okay, conviction, listen, all three of these attributes can and in many ways should bring a healthy sense of conviction, that is, okay, God, God, Omniscient, he knows everything that means I can't fake him out. Like, you know, like I feel violated, he knows everything. The deepest, most secret corners of my heart, God knows it, he knows all things. So, that's kind of convicting, all right? Because I don't know about you, but there's stuff in there that I don't broadcast to everyone else. Like, if, if that, if we put that on the uh, projector screen for everyone, all the deepest, darkest recesses of your heart, you want to play that tape for everyone. God sees it. though. No, it's there. Oh, it's convicting, right? Uh, what What is the fact that God is omnipresent? God is everywhere. That's that's convicting because man, I, I can't escape Him. <laughs> it's like I'm like Jonah. I want to run from God, but there's nowhere to run to get away from Him. What do I? That's convicting. Everywhere I go, oh, there you are. <laughs> What, what, you know the fact that God is all-powerful he's omnipotent that's convicted because it means no matter how much i ever fight or struggle or try I will never overcome him I'll never defeat or conquer his divine plans and purposes I'm resisting and it's futile because he's omnipotent how do you defeat the omnipotent it's not going to happen so all of those can and in many ways should bring a healthy sense of conviction but they also bring massive comfort, massive comfort. And, and I, this seems to be the way, to me, that David sees it and the tone he seems to be taking here. He's not kind of complaining. He's not. He bemo- doesn't seem to be bemoaning these things, right? Think about it. God knows everything. God is omniscient, so he knows every, I, you are fully known to God. This is why that's comforting. There are no masks to wear or appearances to keep up with God. Isn't that exhausting? When we try that, keep up appearances, put on the mask, let everybody see you know, how, how many times? I love it when I love it when somebody's like brand new to the faith and they don't know better and they come to church and you know and, and, and you're like, how you doing? And they're like, man, life is effed up right now, bro. And beep and beep and beep. It's like they don't know that they're not supposed to act differently. They don't know that. And I love that because they're real. Right, right, and then later, and then later, they figure out the game, and and they give they give a different answer. They go, how you? and their life is falling apart. And when they first got saved, they're just honest about that. Oh, things are awful. And beep 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 beep, beep and they're going on. And it's like oh, they're so raw and so real. And then five years later, how you doing, brother? Life is still falling apart. And they go, oh, well, I'm blessed with God's best. I'm above and not beneath. I'm the head, and not the tail. I'm blessed coming in, blessed going out, brother. Things are good, right? You know your life is falling apart. And five years ago, when you first saved, you didn't know to play the Christian game. You didn't know to put on the mask, you know? And you've, you've gotten fake, and now you're acting. And then now we're all acting in some ways. So there's masks to keep up, because we gotta have an appearance, because, because I guess what happened? Because guess what? I did let some people in, and some some Christians, when I was first saved, I go, I'm not talking about me, but well, this happened to me in some ways, but I, I've seen it happen with other people. They come in, oh, life is effed up right now, bro, and beep, 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 and, and somebody went, listen, Stop! oh, no, you're not supposed to talk like that. And they're like, instead of addressing the real pain and whatever's going on in their life, they started coming at them with church rules, right? And so they taught them, oh, no, 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 I don't get to be real with you. I have to wear a mask. I don't get to show you everything that's in here because it's not safe with you. You're fully known to God. There are no masks to wear and no appearances to keep. The pressure's off. The pressure's off. He already knows it all. You can't hide anything from him. He already knows it. He knows you better than you know yourself. This means that he will never, there is never going to be a point in your walk with God where he is surprised or caught off guard by your sin. There's never going to be a point where he's like, oh, I didn't see that one coming. And if I had, maybe I wouldn't have called them. Maybe I wouldn't have created them. That's never gonna happen because God already, God knows sins you haven't even committed yet that you're not even aware of. He knows it all so you don't have to fake with him. He knows everything. He knows your heart, your thoughts, your words and deeds and he loves you. So these two go together. It's not just that God knows all about me. It's that God knows all about me and loves me still. Do you see the freedom in that? Pastor Tim Keller, stay with this quote. I put it on your sheet. Go back to it if you have to because this is one of my favorite quotes. I think it's powerful because this illustrates just a biblical truth that I think will set us free in our walk with God. He said this. To be loved, but not known, it's comforting, but it's superficial. That is, you love me, but that's only because you don't really know me. You don't actually see the deepest recesses of my heart. And so that's why you love me. If I let you see that, you'd probably stop loving me. So to be loved, but not fully known, that's comforting, but it's superficial. It's a surface level love, okay? To be known completely and not loved, is our greatest fear. Our greatest fear is that I let all of this out to you and you don't love me. You see it and you go, yeah, I'm out. That's our greatest fear. That's why we put on the masks. And he says this, but to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. And it's what we need more than anything to know that I am fully known and fully loved. Nobody knows you like God knows you. And nobody loves you like God loves you. So that's why his omniscience is comforting. He knows it all. I don't have to fake him out. He knows it all already and he loves me more than anyone. Why is it comforting that God is everywhere? God is omnipresent. Well, it seems like I can't escape him. Here's why that's actually comforting for the child of God is that you are never truly alone. Never. There's never a point where you are truly alone. God has promised to never leave nor forsake you. That means even if everyone else in your life abandons you, God never will. That's the promise of Scripture. It says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I don't care who else turns on you. See, uh, other people see, and they in and out of your life. And people you think they're going to be there forever, they're out, and they, they tap out at some point, and they just go. People will fail you, and people will fall short. God says, that'll never happen with me. You can't escape my presence. Everywhere, you, even when you try, there I am. Highest heights, lowest depths, the farthest reaches, I'm there. You can't get rid of me. You can't shake me, kid. I'm with you and I know everything about you, and I love you. I'm with you, and I know you, and I love you. How does the fact that God is omnipotent and all-powerful, how is that comforting? All the days of your life are in the hands of a sovereign, all-powerful God. Now, if God just loved you and knew all about you, wanted the best for you, but he had no power to impact any part of your life, that's not very comforting. You love me, you know me, that's great, that's awesome, but that that doesn't really help me in terms of life and eternity. It feels good, but all the days of your life are in the hands of an all-powerful God. He knew you even before he formed you, and he holds your future, and he promises that all of it will work together for your good and for his glory. Romans 8, 28. That means until his time for you comes, you're untouchable. I heard a guy say like he was on a plane and it was like having turbulence and doing all this stuff and the guy next to him freaking out and this guy's a pastor and he, and he was just as calm as he could be. The whole plane's freaking out because it's bad, that bad turbulence. And this guy looks to him like, how are you so calm? And he goes, brother, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I believe that God knows my days, the number of my days. And that means... If it's my time, I don't want to stay. I'm going to be, it says, to depart and be in the presence of God, which is far better. He says, but if it's not my time, if today is not my day, I'm untouchable. This plane's going to land safely. Because my God is the omnipotent God of all creation who holds all of my days in his hands, who saw every one of them even before I lived one of them. There's no problem that you will ever encounter in this life that is more powerful than your God. What a comfort. So let's close with some personal application. How can you apply this psalm to your life? Number one, know that God's knowledge and care of you is intensely personal. It's intensely Personal. This is David, one man out of millions at that time, hundreds of millions maybe. Now it's billions, seven billion plus people on the planet. Right? One man who, at one point in an earlier psalm, I think Psalm 8, looks up at the stars and says, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, what is man that you're even mindful of him? You ever feel like that? Like God's so big and the world's so big, the universe is so big. And there's billions of people on this planet. And who am I in the middle of all of that? David had that feeling. But here's, look at what he says. Verse one, oh Lord, you've searched me. Not just you've searched humanity at large, you've searched me and you know me. You know, when I get up and when I sit, do you see how intensely personal that is? That's not just God loving the world or God caring about the world or searching the world or knowing the movements of the world. It's God knowing you. Your thoughts and your movements and your words and your heart, it's intensely personal. And look what he says in verses 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, oh God. You see, David's not bemoaning all of this. He says, when I think about all this, your omniscience and your omnipresence and your omnipotence, God, how precious are your thoughts to me, God. How precious are your thoughts, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they're more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Think about the fact that God thinks about you. He says, how precious are your thoughts to me. You think of me, God. Like you, out of all these billions of people, you think about me. And you think precious thoughts. He says, I awake and I'm with you. Like, this is intensely personal. God's knowledge and care for you is intensely personal. Yes, God knows all things. He knows you. Yes, God is everywhere. He's with you. Yes, God is all powerful. He is all powerful in your life. It's intensely personal. Number two, second application. How can we apply this psalm? Have a hatred of evil and a commitment to holiness. Now, I know that's heavy. Let me, let me unpack it. These couple verses, okay? We don't often use those words. We don't preach sermons that, we don't like this stuff. We don't talk about sin. We don't talk about words like hatred and evil. We don't do that anymore. It turns seekers away. We don't like that. Well, I'm gonna preach it because it's here in the Bible. Have a hatred of evil and a commitment to holiness. That's what David looks at all this and he goes, okay, Look at what he says, verses 19 through 22. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you, God, with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Whoa, David, slow down. You need a little bit of New Testament revelation of grace and love. You know, Jesus said, love your neighbor. You're like, I hate them with a perfect hatred. (laughs) All right? And it's true. God calls us to love our neighbor, even love our enemies. That's true. We think that means We should never hate anything because we think of love and hate as opposites and they're not. They're not. This strikes against the grain of our cultural conditioning more than it strikes against the grain of the scriptures. You read the scriptures and you see this all over the place. But we've been culturally conditioned to think that that is always bad. Hate in any form is always bad. So it strikes against the grain of our cultural conditioning, doesn't it? We have developed kind of this syrupy, sentimental notion of love in our day, and wrongly think that Christians should never hate anything. But Proverbs eight thirteen says, "Fear of the Lord is to hate evil." It tells us scripture tells us constantly, fear the Lord, awe, reverence, respect, honor for God, and if you do that, you will hate evil. He says. He tells us in. In this same book, Psalm 97, verse 10, it says, you who love the Lord, if you love God, hate evil. Love and hate are not opposites. Hate is not the opposite of love. You know what's the opposite of love, I think? Indifference, to be indifferent, to not care at all. And so many people are indifferent towards God. So many people are indifferent. So many people are indifferent towards their fellow man. They see stuff, but they're indifferent about it. Neither love nor hate. They're indifferent. Hate is not the opposite of love. Let me put it this way. What we love, stay with me, because this is important again. What we love actually determines what we hate. My primary love will tell me the things that I should hate. So if I love my wife, and I do, I hate anything that would seek to harm her. Does that make sense? And if I don't hate whatever would harm her and I just gladly accept it and she's harmed, is that love? Absolutely not. So what I love determines what I hate. Do you see that? And that's what scripture is saying. If you love the Lord, hate evil. Because it separates you from him and it separates other people from him and it's an offense to God and all of those, all, for all those reasons, if you love him, you will hate evil. And so really it comes down to a heart issue. It's an issue of love. If we don't hate evil, do we love God? Our primary love will define our hate. That is, if I primarily love sin and myself, I will hate the commands of God and the call of God to live a holy life for myself and for others. If I primarily love God, I will hate my sin and any sin that creates devastation and is an offense to God, which is all sin. Now, the problem with our hate is that it's so often tainted by our sinful nature. (laughs) We don't... We don't hate the way that we should in the right way for the right reasons. Our hatred is self-serving. It's motivated by love of self and not righteousness. what we think of when we think of hate as a bad thing, and it is in that sense. People hate all kinds of things unrighteously. They hate different people, and that's unrighteous. There's nothing about that as a godly. People hate God, it's an unrighteous hate. People hate one another, it's an unrighteous hate. People hate themselves, unrighteous hate. Our hate is so often tainted by our sinful nature. But David is not saying that here. He's not tainted in this moment, as he's moved by the Holy Spirit, he's not tainted by a sinful self-serving hatred. He says, I hate them, with a complete hatred, and that word could be translated perfect hatred, and in some translations, that's how it's translated. He says, my hate that I feel right now is a perfect hate. It's a hate untainted by sinful, self-serving flesh. David's not upset with others about the bad time they're giving him. He's upset for the glory of God. When he looks out and sees, as he mentioned here, violence and bloodshed and people speaking against God with malicious intent and taking God's name in vain and rising up against God, when he sees such hatred of God, he hates it. And he should. And we should. If we love the Lord. It is entirely possible and should be the the constant response of the child of God who truly loves the Lord to love all people and hate all evil. They're not separated things. I would say the best thing to do is start by hating the the evil in our own hearts. Because what we so often do is become judgmental, hypocritical Pharisees who stand on our soapbox acting like we have it all together while we hate all the sin in someone else. And, and, and in response to that, what a lot of people in culture have done is we go, oh, no, no, don't do not do that. Don't call out the sin. Don't be a Pharisee. You're calling out somebody else's sin. And what we do in response to that is we soften that sin. We go, well, that sin maybe not that bad. But the response to a judgmental person is not to soften our response to sin. It's to strengthen our response to sin. It's to actually hate sin so much that we hate the sin within ourselves. And we would never stand on a pedestal judging somebody else like that in a way like we're over them or better than them. It's, I hate sin so much that I hate it primarily in my own heart. And David does that here. So don't think that David's up here going, just, just, I hate them and I'm above them. Because what he does next reveals that he's also saying, I hate it in my own heart, God, and I don't want any of it there. He knows he's not above any of this. And so David asks God to keep him from such things, which leads to our third application, the final one. Number three, ask God to search you and lead you. Verse 23 and 24, again, this is how he ends all of this. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Try me, test me, and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me that is anything in me that offends you, God. And lead me in the way everlasting. In verse one, David takes what he knows about God from verse one. Lord, you've searched me and known me. I know that. You've searched me and you know me. You know all things. He takes that knowledge and he turns it into prayer. Lord, you've searched me and you know me. So search me and know me. Right? Test me. He turns it into a prayer. And I think this is a prayer for your life. I think this is a daily prayer to pray. A regular, constant prayer to pray is something that's good for all of us as believers and for following the Lord is to pray this prayer that David prays and pray it all the time. God, you know my heart better than I do. My heart will deceive me, but it can't deceive you. And so God, what I want you to do is I want you to search my heart and I want you to tell me or show me if there's anything in there that's offensive to you. And then lead me in the way of everlasting life. Lead me in the paths of righteousness. Lead me in the way that honors and glorifies you, God. Because there are things in our hearts that are offensive to God that we don't even. No, yet. I remember I used to think when I first got saved, I thought the biggest sin ever in my life was smoking. And I smoked for about two years till after I got saved. And i like, now I look at that and I go, oh, that's crazy. But I thought that was like, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm a good boy. I'm reading my Bible and I'm going to church and I'm, and I'm telling you that I'm serving in a mission. I'm doing good. I'm being a good boy, I'm being a good Christian, except I smoke. And that's my thing. It's like, oh, and I knew God was dealing with me about smoking. Okay me. Okay? I don't know where you're at with your walk with God. Maybe you got to deal with some other stuff. and I don't know. So I'm not picking on smoking. I'm saying, this, telling my story. Okay? But I was like, if I quit smoking, I'm going to be an A-plus Christian. <laughs> That's what I thought. Guess what happened? And I mean, listen, I used to have the most intense Bible studies on my smoke break. I'm not even playing. I'd wake up in the morning. I'd pour my cup of coffee. I'd, I'd grab that and my Bible and my pack of smokes. And I'd go out in the backyard and I'd sit down at the table and I'd drink my coffee, smoke my cigarettes, and have some deep Bible study. And the Holy Spirit met me there. I'm telling you. And yet God started talking to me as he was meeting with me. Hey, I want you to deal with this. I want you to deal with this. And I thought, okay, once I deal with this, A plus Christian, rock and roll. Here I go. I got that out of the way. Finally, by the grace of God, I was able to overcome that. And guess what happened? I prayed this prayer, as I always did. God, search me and know my heart. Show me if there's anything in there that offends you. And he goes, Yeah, plenty. (laughs) Plenty. And he starts showing me stuff, and I was like, what? I didn't even know that was bad. We got to pray. I didn't know it was in my heart. There's all kinds of funky stuff in there. I pray this prayer all the time, and God's always, he's currently dealing with me always dealing with me in grace and in love and thank God he doesn't show me the whole he doesn't show me how deep it goes like thank God he doesn't show it to me all at once thank God that he let me believe that the thing I had was just smoking you know like if he showed me the whole lot I'd have been like just kill me just kill me and take you know like I can't I would have been overwhelmed by my own sinfulness if he showed me everything that was in my heart all at once Praise God that by his grace, as we live this prayer day by day, he does reveal bit by bit the things in our heart that offend him. And our job is to be faithful and follow him. And we can't do this on our own, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, ask for the grace and the power to overcome those things in our heart and our lives that are an offense to God so that we can live these pure and holy lives before him, become more and more like Jesus Christ every day, conformed to the image of God. And how long will that take? Well, the New Testament says, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. (laughs) That means until Christ returns, we all are works in progress. But this is the progress part. God, show me. Show me what's in there that's offensive to you. And then empower me, because I can't do it. Empower me to overcome it. Amen? Amen. God knows everything. He is everywhere, and he is all-powerful. And so rest in and rejoice in his personal knowledge of you, his presence with you, and his power to do all things according to his purposes in your life. Depart from evil. Hate evil. Love everyone. Love God, but hate evil. Ask him to search your own heart and reveal to you anything that dishonors him and to lead you in the way everlasting. Amen. Amen. Father God, we just thank you for your word. I ask, Lord, that you would... Let's just search us and know us and reveal to us anything in our hearts that is offensive to you, God. What an intensely personal prayer this is. Like this is not a prayer that's happening in front of everyone with everyone. This is in that prayer closet in our quiet moments, our one-on-one time with you, God. That we would get alone with you and we would just confess before you that you already know all things. You see all of the deepest recesses of our heart. You see us so clearly. Perfectly, and you love us, God, and you are with us. And, and I pray, God, that we would know that and pray this prayer, that you would reveal to us anything in there, piece by piece, bit by bit, slowly, in ways that you know we can handle it. Power us by your Holy Spirit to overcome these areas, and God, to live in a way that glorifies you and magnifies the name of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name.